0: Gene and I have been here for 34 years, and it has been literally the greatest privilege of our life to serve with our staff and volunteers and all of you serve God together. Uh, It has been a great faith journey. And uh, the pillars put God's word first, worship, reach our young people, our children, and missions. And it says in in, uh, Mark 16 that God confirmed the word with signs following. And uh, we just keep seeing that. God just keeps confirming his word. Strongholds are broken. Captives are set free. Marriages are healed. Relationships are restored. Addicts get delivered. Bondages are broken. Depressed people get released. Souls get saved. And how many realize there has never been a greater need than what there is right now? Yeah. And what what, Malak, what uh, Mordecai said to I, Esther, I think is so spot on for us today. He said, "Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this?" Jesus said to his disciples, "Don't say this four months, and then there's going to be the harvest." Jesus said, "I say to you, lift up your eyes because the fields are white unto harvest." And uh, it's, we're excited about what God is going to do, but I'm telling you, right now, God is moving. Souls are being saved, hearts are being healed, lives are being transformed, and there just is nothing better than being a part of what God's doing. Jesus is building His church. And He did not, He said this, He said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. You know, and that needs to be the attitude that every one of us have. That we're not spectators, but that we get in the ring and we're serving. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. And uh, collectively, you know, we've been, we've been used as a church to do a lot of great things here, but also all around the world. I may even mention a little bit of that in a few minutes in my message. But I'm asking you to partner with us for the next 50 years to bring God's light God's life, his love, and salvation to as many people as we possibly can. Be a hundred percent sold out, take back what the devil has stolen, and make it hard to go to hell from Grand Rapids 50 more great, great, great years. Amen. Well, now I just want to share a simple message with you. I want to start again in Romans chapter 12 in verse 1. It says, I appeal to you therefore, brethren, and I beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about what worship is. And worship at its core, it is surrendering to God. He mentions here surrendering your body, but it's your time, your energy, your talent, your money. Every time that we come and we surrender to God, that is what worship is. Now, what I want to talk to you about today is how do we get to the place where we're doing it? We can know what it is, but how do we get there? And it's really the next verse that talks to us about that, and we're going to get there in just a moment. But it does not matter what your occupation is, whether you're a housewife, a truck driver, a chef, an engineer, a banker, or a lawyer. Every one of us are called to make a total Commitment, a total surrender to God. And really, God doesn't want your service as much as he wants you. God's after you. In fact, the Corinthians said to Paul, you're like, you're after our money. He said, no, I didn't want you. I want you. And what God is after is he's after us, right? And so often we ask God, you know, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to do this or do you want me to do that? But what we should be doing is praying is, Lord, make me usable so I can be used by you wherever it is you want to use me, right? And unfortunately, uh, when a child grows or, or is born, they're, they're in the natural, you just feed them and they keep growing, right? But it seems like spiritually, some people never grow up. They're 40 years, 40 years, they say they've been a Christian and you still have to change their spiritual diapers and give them spiritual pablum. You know, Unfortunately, some people, they just say totally self-centered, self-absorbed brats. Probably should say that in a nicer way. <laughs> you know, like that little kid you see in the store that throws a fit, you know, and then the parents give it to him. Again, with God, you can throw a fit, but he will not answer. He doesn't respond to fits. God responds to faith. But we need to be totally, totally committed to God in every area of our life. Now, if you wonder if you're totally committed, if you have any doubt, you're not. If you've got a doubt, am I totally surrendered? You're not. If there's that tug of war going on in your heart, no, but God wants you to make a decisive decision. You're going to surrender to God. Now, because you surrender once doesn't mean you're never going to need to do it again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed. And he said, God, if there's any way for this to pass, let this pass. But not my will, but yours be done. Hour later, he's on his knees, he prays the exact same thing. And an hour later, he's on his knees and he prays the exact same thing. How many realize that when you surrender and dedicate yourself to God, you may need to do it again? In fact, I guarantee you, you're going to need to do it again. And you're going to need to do it again. But it needs to be a continual attitude, a a heart issue with us as believers that we are continually in that place where if there's any place that we're slipping, we're coming to God and we are dedicating, we are surrendering ourselves to God. In whatever area that we're not surrendered, we come and we surrender. And that really is worship. Now, what brings us to the place where we can do that right? And keep doing that is renewing our minds with God's Word. To tell you to do it but not tell you how wouldn't be right. So, Romans 12.1 tells us this is what you need to do. You need to surrender totally to God. But then Romans 12.2 tells us how to do it. It says, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Let God change the way you think. Because when you change how you think, you will change how you live. Don't be like the people of this world. Don't let the world cookie cut you, make you into their mold with their values, their morals, their standards. Now, you need a different standard, different values. And where do we get them? Well, we get them when we let God change the way that we think. And by the way, the reason that God gave you one of these is to change the way you think. That is its purpose, right? Uh, I've I've known people who sleep with the Bible under their pillow. It doesn't help. (laughs) It's not going to do any good under the pillow. It only does good when it gets inside your heart. That's when it does good. And literally, it is supposed to change how you think. Change your morals, change your values, change your perspective, change your goals, right? So the kingdom of God works on a seed principle. Right? What we got we, — we do — and we come to God and we say, oh God, save my marriage. God, deliver me. God, my finances are a mess help me, right? Without recognizing that what God does, he does through his word. And he does it in us, right? In fact, the way God changes us, he changes us from the inside out. God doesn't start on the outside. God starts on the inside. And he starts with his word. His word is a seed. In First Peter one twenty three. And having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. So it's saying the word of God is like a seed. It's an incorruptible seed. And that seed gets sown in your heart. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the parable of the sower. And he said the sower goes out and he sows the seed or the word of the kingdom of God. Now, that seed falls on different kinds of ground. And depending upon which kind of ground it falls on, it produces fruit or it doesn't produce fruit. But here's what Jesus said. He said, if you can understand that parable about the sower sowing the word of the kingdom of God, he said, you can understand all my parables. He said, but if you don't understand that parable, he said, you won't understand any of the parables. And he says, and you will not understand how the kingdom of God works. Because the kingdom of God works like a seed. It gets sown in your heart and it begins to grow. In Mark 4, again, Jesus said, the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. And when the grain ripens, immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So the word of God that's sown in your heart, it begins first of all with a blade then it grows the stalk, then the ear, then the ear develops, and then it's harvest time. The Bible is different than any other book. First of all, this book, the Bible, is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. Right? This book is God speaking to you and to me. Uh, because this is God speaking to us, how many of y'all, we ought to find out what's, what's in here? And it's amazing to me how many people call themselves Christians, and neglect the Bible. You are never gonna grow spiritually without the Word of God. As newborn babes, the Bible says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. So God's gonna tell us His will for our lives. He's gonna — everything God's going to give us, explain to us, it's gonna be in His Word. The Bible says the Word of God is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It is powerful. It's alive. And it gets on the inside of you and it begins to cause change. It begins to grow. Recently, I read a biography of the, the uh, founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators. He began in Mexico and he was down in southern Mexico in the Chiapas area. And he, it, it, when he arrived there, he, he met the mayor and he gave him a Bible. And it was about six weeks or maybe two months later, the mayor comes to him and says, the book, he said, the book won't let me steal. And the book won't let me do immoral things. And then about a month later, he comes back. And he says, I want three more of the books. And he gave him his gun. He says, I don't want to murder anybody anymore, and I want three Bibles, I'm going to give them to my three enemies so that that book can do for them what the book has done for me. I'm telling you, the book will change your life. It will change your life, but it has to go in and it needs to grow. It needs to grow. Jesus said to them, be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you, and more besides will be given to those who hear. So, Jesus is telling us that we need to be very careful with that Bible. We need to spend time in thought and study. He said the measure of thought and study, or the amount of time you spend meditating on the Word of God. That will be the measure of virtue or power, life-changing power and knowledge that will come back to you, right? But what's going to happen, it changes you on the inside, not the outside. And when you change on the inside, when you change the way you think, you change the way that you live, right? it, The Bible shows you what you will never intuitively know. If you're following this world, you're going to miss God almost every single time. So David said in Psalms 119, verse 128, he said, therefore, I consider your precepts or your word concerning all things to be right. Now, I mean, you know, God is right and he changes not. So he said, I consider your precepts, your word concerning everything to be Right. So God is right about marriage, God's right about money, God's right about forgiveness, God's right about raising kids. You name the subject, God is right. Now, now here's the deal. If you will look at what God says and you look at culture, what what our world tells us, there's going to be a big difference, right? And the world is not right, God's right. And and by the way, ultimately, it doesn't really matter what you think or I think or anybody else thinks, right? Something's not right because you think it's right or because a political group thinks it's right. It's right if God says it's right and it's wrong if God says it's wrong. It's just that simple, right? So David said, I consider your word concerning all things to be right. And then he said, I hate every false way. James, who was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, I I love the book of James because he was a pastor and he's just like, pastors are practical, right? This is what he said. He said, therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. King James, I believe it is, says the engrafted word which is really a a term that they use in horticulture, if you go to an orchard and they want to engraft something, they take a branch from a plant and they go to the plant they want to engraft it into and they make an incision and they cut something out. Then they put the new branch in and very carefully wrap it in. Now, the Bible says the way we receive God's Word is like the way that a piece of a plant is engrafted into a tree. So, what it's saying is this, before you can really receive God's Word, you've got to get rid of something. Every time you disagree with God, you need to say, that's wrong, and you need to cut it out, and you need to discard it, and then you've got to put God's truth in and carefully make sure that you begin to live that truth. Meditate on that truth. How do I do this? How does this affect my life? How does this affect how I'm treating my kids, the people I work with? How does it affect the way I handle my finances? How does it affect the way that that person who did me wrong, my attitude towards them? You let the Word of God get implanted. You meditate. And as you do, that's how it grows. That's how it changes you. It changes you from the inside to the outside. Of course, and the world is just telling you, well, just stop doing that. Well, it doesn't work it's in Galatians. This is what it says. But what people want to do is they, the Bible says, don't walk in the flesh. So people say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, and I'm not going to, and I'm not going to, right? Well, that never works. The Bible says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So if all you're trying to do is not do something, you're going to end up keeping on doing it. But what you need to do is make a decision to walk in the spirit to follow God, to follow His Word. And when you make that decision to follow God, it's not a matter of I'm not going to, it's what you're going to do, right? You got vision. You know, when you're leaving something, when you're leaving something, there's always a certain amount of unhappiness when you're leaving, right? But when you're going someplace, there's joy, right? And it's the same way when it comes to victory in our lives. It's not what we're leaving, it's where we're going, right? We're going to walk in the Spirit. We're going to fulfill God's purpose and God's destiny for our life. We're going to have God's blessing in our life. We're going to be used by God. It's not what we're leaving, it's where we're going. We're going to walk in the Spirit. But it's a change that takes place on the inside first. Philippians 2, verse 13, for God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want the things that please him and to work for them. God himself is at work in you. And he inspires you to want the things that please him. In Psalms 37, the same truth is back in the Old Testament. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him. He'll bring it to pass. Now, when the Bible says he'll give you the desires of your heart, A lot of people think about a house, or a car, or a vacation, or something. But that's not what this is really talking about. The Hebrew word there, delight, means to be soft and pliable. To be soft and pliable. So so what God's gonna do is He's gonna change your desires. Uh, Let me me tell you a little story about this. Uh, Back in 1988, I, I just had this desire to go to Russia. I didn't know anybody. And you just said to me, why do you want to go? I just said, I don't know. Something in me wants to go, right? And uh, I I remember talking with the the elders of the church. I said, there's really no reason for me to go, but I want to go. I feel like I gotta go. Something just, something just making me want to, want to go to Russia. And then there was somebody in church who found out, and they actually came up and said, thus says the Lord, if you go you'll die in a plane crash. And by the way, if you get any prophecies like that from me, just keep them, okay? Just keep them. <laughs> so, 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 I went to the elders and, and we talked about it and, and they said, you know, if you really feel like it, go, you know? So, went took two of my friends, right? And we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know anybody. And uh, we, we at, at that time, uh, the Baltics were still very solidly a part of the Soviet Union. And so, we went to Helsinki, Finland. We took a boat across and… We ended up in uh, Riga, Latvia. We got in our hotel and we didn't know what to do. So we thought, well, let's, let's go walk down out on the street. Now we are, we are outside, we are not outside, I don't think we're outside, five minutes. And a man comes up to us in English and said, are you Americans? And we said, yes, we are. And he said, my boss would like to buy you dinner. And we said, okay. We figured if we went to a restaurant, we couldn't read the menu anyway. <laughs> so, he takes us to dinner, and uh, the boss is talking through an interpreter. And uh, he says, "He says uh, I'm a Russian businessman. He said my dad was a pastor. He spent 20 years in Siberia in a gulag for preaching. He said, and, and uh, I pastor a little church as well. And and we're talking with him. And all of a sudden, he says." You need to come to my city. He said, we live 30 miles from here, and I want you, day after tomorrow, to come to my city. And I'll send a car to pick you up, and we'll come. And in fact, what he said is, he said, and we will have a series of dinners. Now, some of you will remember this guy because he came to church and spoke for us, Right? He was about six foot seven, 420 pounds. And when he said a series of dinners, he wasn't kidding. I took him to Olive Garden and if my memory serves me right, he ordered three dinners and ate them all himself. <laughs> so, when we get to this town, it's 30 miles out of Riga. It's called Golgava. Uh, uh, and it's a closed city. There's a, there, there's a Air Force base there. And our understanding later was that they had nuclear weapons there. And no foreigner had been there since 1945. And we're there in a restaurant with him. And he's just this flamboyant guy, and he's yelling for waiters to do this and yelling to bring more food. And, and we're sitting there, and half of the people in there have got military um, hats on and uniforms on, and we're thinking, oh gosh, we're going to go into jail, you know? <laughs> I, do not, I do not want a jail ministry, not like this, you know? <laughs> so as we're talking, we're kind of like trying to be real quiet. And, and he says, oh, this, th- this city needs the gospel. We need the gospel so bad. And he said, it would just be wonderful if you'd just come here and preach. And we said, yeah, that would just be wonderful if we could preach here, but we know that's — can't do that, it's illegal. And he said, let's do it. I mean, he threw down some money, he paid the bill, we walk across the street and in ten minutes we have rented the Civic Auditorium for two nights from then — it's a Tuesday — and we rented the Civic Auditorium for Thursday night. Then in five minutes we're at the, the uh, newspaper place. And he puts out an ad, which I still have. It's in Russian, so you can't tell, but this is what it says. It says, two famous American preachers (laughs) will preach in the Hall of Culture, which is the Civic Auditorium, on Thursday night about the God who made the world. And it's like not supposed to be legal. I mean, this is Gorbachev's sin, but, you know, Perestrike is just, just coming. And we're like, oh my gosh. They drop us off at the hotel. We're like praying and fasting like God. We don't want to go to jail. Huh? They pick us up. They bring us there Thursday night. We get there. The place is packed. There's a line outside. Every, people are standing on the walls. The foyer outside is full. Everything's full. I preached the simplest message in the world, literally. Uh, an eighth grader could have done my, my, my message, an eight-year-old. You know, in the beginning, God created the world, and He put man and woman in a beautiful garden. And He told them to eat all of the trees, and this is all going through an interpreter. And, and I probably shared for 30 minutes. So that was probably 15 minutes with an interpreter, you know, 30 minutes. And then I said, now, if you want to give your life to Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins and live for him, raise your hand. Everybody raised their hand. So I knew they didn't understand. (laughs) So I did it again, right? He said, please raise your hand. And every, listen, not one person did not raise their hand. Not one. And and the big guy comes up to the interpreter and he says, "Uh, they understand. They want to be saved. And I'm like, oh. So we pray. And afterwards, I I said to him, I said, you don't know that communism is dead. There's this vacuum in people, and they are hungry, and we we need to reach them with the gospel. I said, but more than anything, what we need is we need a Bible school. And he he said, oh, he said, we could do that. Now, there hasn't been in the Soviet Union a new Bible school or seminary in 70 years, since 1917. He said, we could do that. I said, what do you mean we could do that? He said, we could do that. So so I was on the board of a mission organization in Florida. At that time, we were the largest mission sending organization in the world. And I went back and I told them, and I said, let's do this. So you paid, by the way, to send the president over there. He came back and he said, let's do that. Let's do it. So, that guy that we met, he rented a building — Leon, how many square feet was that building? 200,000? Yeah, about 200,000 square feet, dormitories, classrooms, kitchen, you name it, all right? He rents that thing, and I think it was 17 families ended up going over there. We started a Bible school, and by the way, they said today, that from that Bible school were started over 1,000 churches and several of the 10 largest churches in the former Soviet Union came out of that Bible school. Leon and Audrey were over there, a big part of it, and great to see you, Pastor Leon. Now, you know what that was? Just a desire. Made no sense. I remember telling my uncle and aunt I was gonna go, and they said, you're crazy. You know what? But God Himself is at work in you. And He inspires you to want what pleases Him. He puts those things on the inside of you. But it's when you get full of the Word of God, and you're soft, and you're pliable to what the Spirit of God is speaking to you — I've heard people say, oh, God never speaks to me. Well, He's speaking — you're just too hard-hearted to hear. You're too hard-hearted to hear. You need to get that Word down on the inside of you. Let it change the way you think, your morals, your values, your behavior, your, your, your goals. God's Word will change every single part of us. As I look at Jeannie in my life, every single time we've made a move, including the move from Mexico to here, it was because God put a desire inside of our heart. And this is what I know. I know that he does the same thing for every single one of us. And so often, we just miss. But we need to be soft and pliable. And he will give you the desires of your heart.